you don't say no to chai. Like you, you just always drink chai. So I think I probably had like 10 cups of chai a day, which is like <laughs> a lot, which is great. I love chai, right? But like you also like culturally, we learned that like it's kind of rude to say no to that. Welcome back to The Founder's Couch. This is a talk show about the most inspiring student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Katherine Jang. For those new to the show, you might be thinking, again, who the heck is this girl? Well, just to quickly introduce myself, I'm a recent grad from Stanford where I myself was a student founder. My goal with Founders Couch is to inspire more of you, students, to start your own ventures. I hope to show what it's like to be a student founder and share helpful advice and lessons learned from the top student entrepreneurs across the country. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts. We've got Ayushi Sinha on the show today. Ayushi is a recent Princeton grad who studied computer science and received a certificate in cognitive science. Hailing from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Ayushi was the founder of several ventures during her time in college. She co-founded the startup Wellpower, a vertically integrated Uber for water filtration and distribution in East Africa. She also co-founded Princeton's first student-led VC, Prospect Student Ventures, to invest in student founders and teach core concepts of venture capital. She is currently an incoming member of the product team at Nines, a startup bringing AI to radiology diagnostics and backed by Axel and 8VC. From my very first conversation with Ayushi, two topics stuck out that I thought would resonate with you all. The first was the importance of user interviews when building a product that's not necessarily for yourself. And the second was the balance between staying true to your vision and taking feedback. We'll be diving into these topics for the show today. Now onto the show, let's get Ayushi on the couch. Hey Ayushi, welcome to the show. Hey Catherine, thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you doing today? Doing super well. I'm actually calling in from home, which is Chattanooga, Tennessee. So yeah, I suppose that's been a silver lining of Corona is um, extra family time. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can attest to that. Um, so you are, you're in Chattanooga right now. Did you grow up there or? Yeah, so was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then went to Princeton um, for college for the last four years. Um, yeah, and, and I'm back now. Yeah, awesome. Um, so you should, I know that, you know, throughout the course of the past few years, you've co-founded several things. Um, <laughs> so you co-founded Wellpower when you were um, in college, which I think you dub as the Uber for Clean Water in East Africa. And then now, recently, you are the co-founder of Prospect Student Ventures, which is Princeton's first student-led VC. But I want to focus mostly on your experience with Wellpower, because I think that's really interesting. And especially since it happened, you know, several years back, hopefully there's been time to like reflect and, and get some really good learnings from it. So I guess in your own words, how would you have described what Wellpower was doing back when, when you were co-founding it? Absolutely. So um, Wellpower initially started, um, I guess, my sophomore year of, of college. And at first, my co-founders and I started Wellpower as um, a way to upcycle old solar panels and car batteries, thinking that, look, there's so many negative externalities from um, clean energy. And rather than being recycled, um, they're kind of just thrown away because it's not really cost effective to recycle them. So that's funny in that that was kind of the inspiration for Wellpower. And so we actually made a huge pivot away from, um, you know, applying sort of like repurpose solar power, um, sort of like hardware to for um, food 
dehydration to actually pursuing this larger question of, um, you know, access to clean water. And so that, I guess, hopefully kind of answers like, what do we co-found Wellpower as? And what did it kind of pivot uh, to become? Um, so yeah, I guess the, the sort of truest definition or you know um, classification of what Wellpower probably you know in like the majority of its time was doing was um, you know acting as an Uber for clean water filtration um, and distribution in East Africa. Gotcha. Very cool. It's yeah, it's interesting that you encompassed how you know it started and how ultimately you guys pivoted and and went towards something you guys thought was better. Um, so obviously, Wellpower. It was started in 2017 and I saw that it ended this past year. Um, and I know in our last conversation, we talked about many things that you learned from that experience. I think there are so many really great insights, but I wanna dive into the two that I think stuck out to me and I, and I think would be interesting for my audience, which is the first being kind of doing user interviews when you're building a product that's not necessarily for yourself. And the second is staying true to your vision versus taking feedback and when to kind of do either, if that makes sense. So. I guess in regards to the first, when it came to Wellpower, you know, obviously this is a product that's not built necessarily for yourself, right? It's for people in East Africa. How did you approach user interviews and need finding and going through that process? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And um, I would highly recommend, you know, one, for anyone building a company, even if it is something that you feel like you are uniquely um, positioned to sort of like know the problem the best because you are the user, I could not more highly recommend like really going deep with these user interviews. So for um, our case in Wellpower, um, it really came down to going to Kenya. And we went, um, so our pilot was in this village called um, Emining. It's about um, five hours from Nairobi. And our user interviews were really important. And so for about like three weeks, um, we just like really like not only um, established a sort of like hardware part of um, of well power like the filtration, but also just like really embedded ourselves in the local community. And um, I guess I'll give some more you know insight into what that means. So of course we went around asking um, really everyone about their water usage habits. And what I mean by everyone is like definitely slicing it by um, different sort of demographics, right? So like different genders, different ages, different um, sort of geographies within the village themselves, right? It's important to talk to people who live close to the river as well as you know, who live more like the urban city center, people who live like way out, um, you know, and who like are typically like farming. And so we tried to kind of go from the perspective of like, let's narrow the funnel. So let's talk to as many people as possible and just understand their like water usage habits to then better understand who would be like a, a really good target customer. And so what we found from that was it's actually like our initial target customer profile was um, someone who is middle to high income and like peri-urban educated households who understand the importance of clean water. So I think that's like the first thing is like, is this really a problem? And like, what we found was that yes, like most people in um, in sort of in, in Emining understood that clean water was important, but then there was definitely a divide in like who found it important enough to pay for or to prioritize it, you know. And so because there were so many questions we had to answer for like who should we sell to first, who has a high the largest need but also propensity to pay, um, we only found that through doing actually a very like broad range of user interviews. Like of course it was hypothesis driven, but like we definitely interviewed people outside like our, our target um, customer profile as well. That's really interesting, yeah. Because I think like at the beginning when you're, you have an idea for something or you're, or you're trying to narrow down on something, you like start broad and then you slowly 
start to, like, I guess, segment the market in, in a sense. When it came to user interviews and doing the need finding, what, what do you think were some questions that you think opened up the discussion better or allowed the other person to trust you more? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I will say that we definitely went into this pilot with like a whole user interview strategy with like 50 questions that like we wanted to answer by the end of the pilot. So again, highly recommend being hypothesis driven, but sort of what you're getting to Catherine, I think is it's also a person, you know, who you're talking to a human being who like, um, who has a life and has real needs and like some of them are related to water, some of them aren't. And so how do we build trust? That's a really hard question, especially I think coming in and like not speaking the local language. So one of our co-founders, um, Bethwell, is like originally, you know, from that area. And um, he was just so instrumental in making those conversations, not just happen and setting them up and knowing who to talk to, but to also really establish that trust. So, um, a couple of specific things, just as you said, like it's been a while since we went and, and reflecting a couple things that I think worked well to build trust were one, of course, having someone who like spoke the language and like was from there. Um, Beth Well, for some context, is one of my closest friends, um, but he's a total Kenyan celebrity. He was like the number, I don't know exactly the title, but like basically placed the highest on the National Kenyan exam his year. And so it was like a local celebrity, a national celebrity. So that definitely, I think, um, inspired a lot of confidence and trust that we weren't just like another nonprofit just trying to like I don't know, like, I, th I think in social entrepreneurship, there is oftentimes, like, a lot of pushback from lo local communities about, like, oh, are you just, like, selling our story and selling our problems? And I think because he was so well-known and that people knew him for being, like, a really good person who actually cared a lot about this problem, that helped with trust. Second, um, water consumption and sort of, like, payment, sort of the burden, all of that actually falls largely upon women. And so that's actually a big reason why I and... Um, Bethwell actually conducted most of like the interviews. Um, apart from the fact that I personally like, I think that the and me definitely <laughs> gets excited talking to the user. Um, but I'm going to be super honest. Like we understood that that was a really important factor in like who were is making the decisions about water and like who on our team most closely re resembles those demographics to like create less friction and to have more trust so yeah we were really mindful of like you know of the four of us co-founders who worked on like the hardware and like who worked on the user interviews um just so we could establish that trust and yeah a lot of it was just like going to people's homes and like also engaging with like the local food so like everywhere we went like you don't say no to chai like you just always drink chai so i think i probably had like 10 cups of chai a day which is like <laughs> a lot which is great I love chai right but like you also like culturally we learned that like it's kind of rude to say no to that um so yeah those are some small things we did to build trust during our user during our user interviews that's really fascinating yeah and and I guess when you say like you know going into these people's homes or like you know engaging locally with their food and such how did you even find the right people to I guess interview or talk to like you know, you come to this new country, Kenya, like, how do you even start? That's a really good question. And I think Bethel was so important there. Um, so because, again, he grew up there, he knew sort of who the power players were, right? And it took us, um, not to sound stinky, but like, honestly, we like mapped it out, right? Like, what do local um, sort of village, I guess, like structures look like, for example, like, who are the power players, right? And so we found, you know, for example, that 
the, the person, you know, we, who actually hosted us was the head of the local high school. And he was so influential because he was so respected. He had been, he had been there for like decades and just like a very, very well-respected guy. And we found that the teachers actually were very well-respected, though they like may not hold sort of like the financial or sort of like legislative power. So like that was really important to know who to talk to, the teachers. Um, second, like the people, um, sort of like the local senators slash like the, um, this sort of like council people and the, and the, um, there was this really amazing lady who kind of like led the whole village, right? Like that's a power player. If they don't think what you're doing is helpful to the community, um, they're like, you have to know who your stakeholders are. And like, they could have definitely like stopped this, right? And like, nope, like we don't think you can like use your water, you can't use your land. But on the contrary, because we talked to them early on, they actually got behind us. And during our really like, ribbon cutting ceremony, when we um, sort of like, I, I guess like announced wealth power to the, to the whole community at large, like they actually like stood up. It's actually like very common sort of um, in like these large gatherings in Kenya for people to just like kind of like stand up and like start talking, you know, and it's not like just us presenting what we did. And that was exciting to be like, wow, like we talked to someone and like they resonated with our vision so much um, that they actually like, got up and spoke in favor of it. And then of course people in like the health system. So it's really important to talk to like local doctors and nurses to be like, one, is this like really a problem? We found like it, it was, we validated that, but also, um, to get them on our side because they're also very trusted. So I think to take a step back, those are kind of the three groups of people we definitely wanted to make sure that we spoke with because their power and influence, right, was so important in like framing what we were doing, that it was like kind of for the good of the community, it was not exploitative, that it like actually helped with health and um, was actually like providing clean water. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think it's cool that you guys were aware not to just talk to the end user in a sense, but also the people kind of making those decisions and who could implement it from a, I guess, top-down approach. That's really cool. And, you know, these decision makers, like the government officials, the doctors, how did you reach out to these people? Was it like you showed up at their office and were like, hey, or was it like a cold email, cold call? Like, how did that work? So, um, everything we did was through like warm introductions, to be honest. So, we, um, Again, as I mentioned, stayed with the like um, a local headmaster, and he was so helpful in introducing us to like everyone we needed to be introduced to. Um, and so, along with Bethel and myself, actually, there is this um, elementary school teacher who was like a total rising star. I mean, he like would MC all the like local events. Um, but again, he was a teacher, very well respected, very trusted, and he accompanied us on a lot of our um, interviews. Um, and so he actually just like knew everyone. <laughs> wow. I'm talking about knowing like <laughs> um, the person who sort of like is like a first degree connection to everyone in the village. That was this guy. Um, and so that was definitely like by design. Of course, you don't really know until I think you go there and practice. Like someone could tell you that they're well connected and that they're like, yep, I know all the people you need to talk to. Um, and it kind of takes some trusting, I think, over the phone. But yeah, we got there. It was all warm intros. Again, this I think was very, you know, specific. Um, to the specific like geography, place, size, et cetera, because it's a very tight-knit community. But yeah, um, they're all warm interests. Yeah, that's very interesting. Definitely, um, I think when, when startups like think about user interviews, I think there's always like, oh, should we do the cold email, cold call route? But obviously warm intros is the better way to go because I think it maximizes the response rate. So it's great that you guys were able to kind of find that nexus of all these other connections. 
Um, what we did is uh, really fast is we actually went during Christmas time when there wasn't school. And so he actually came along with us, right? Which is like such a different, I think, experience in sort of eliciting trust. I think and the people you're talking with, if like their friend is there too, you know, and like is able to almost like be the, the sort of like connective tissue between you as like the interviewer and like the interviewee. He wasn't on all the conversations, but he definitely was there for the people who he knew well, Mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Yushay, I want to kind of move to towards the second topic, which is really is in relation to the first in a sense, but it's basically like staying true to your vision versus taking feedback from either, I don't, I don't know, like users, investors, other people out there. What were some instances in your well-powered journey where you felt that battle kind of the strongest? Yeah. Good question. Um, There are two moments I think that really come to mind. First is in the first six months when we were trying to find product market fit and um, went to a lot of pitch competitions and just got so much very strongly opinionated feedback from judges. Um, Felt a lot of pushback, one, because judges often contradicted themselves between the different competitions. And um, it was all about like the what, right? They were like, oh, this isn't a big enough problem. Or like, this is a big enough problem. Why aren't you thinking about this? So that was one bucket um, or one experience, I think, where we felt like a lot of um, competing sort of like interests, suggestions, et cetera. And the second was when we went out and um, spoke with investors. I think this is something that a lot of social entrepreneurs like face is you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because on one hand you know you're like not out to exploit people and like I'm really not trying to charge them like a gazillion dollars for clean water you know like I I, at the end of the day like Wellpower wanted to bring you know more access to clean water we just realized that doing it sort of in a way that's more financially sustainable is better for local communities as well as like for us as the organization right but that means that um there were, that means that like venture capitalists oftentimes, like I remember this one guy specifically telling us this and I will never forget it. He was like, why would I ever invest in you? He was like, you guys um, aren't going to promise me nearly as high of a return and you probably will fail anyways. Like my money is much better spent, like, I don't investing in some PE firm. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, that was like really harsh feedback to hear because I think that also showed a misalignment of like vision, right? So that's when we found out like, okay, the like solely profit seeking investors probably aren't a good fit for this. On the other hand, when we like actually had the chance to speak to the Gates Foundation, uh, which again is doing great work, but there wasn't a sense of urgency, right? There wasn't a sense of like, oh, if I don't get in on this round and like another investor will. And so they were like, yeah, come back to us after you've like, you know, grown. And there was no urgency. So we're like, hmm, this is really hard because we're hearing different things depending on like the investor's own priorities and sort of like where their place is, right? And in terms of like the larger like spectrum of like um, financially supporting things, right? Whether it's like completely pro bono, completely, you know, um, you know, finance driven. And so we really had to kind of narrow down to like um, somewhere in between and to find that, to find that sweet spot. But again, I think it really just took speaking to a lot of different kinds of investors and kinds of um, people who give grants to know that, they weren't a good fit and to know who was a good fit. So yeah, those were kind of the two ex- examples I, f- I think that probably show how like, we had to stay true to our vision because it would have been so easy to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll just, you know, become a total nonprofit. But no, that's like not what we thought was like the best 
um, in vehicle for actually inspiring change when it comes to access to clean water. Like that would not be between staying true to who we were, though that might've like been more easy to raise money. Um, and similarly, when it comes to these pitch competitions to, um, yeah, we could have gone into the pitch competitions thinking, hmm, okay, it looks like all the judges have backgrounds in like solar energy. So we should pitch this at the solar energy company, not as like what well power truly is. So of course you can like, um, reverse engineer it, but I don't think that's saying true, true to your vision. Absolutely, for sure. And when you get that feedback from those investors or those investors that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. do you have a conversation as a team and be like, okay, what are our actual values and like how does this investor's values not align with us? Like, was it like a formal meeting? What did, what did that conversation look like with the team itself? Yeah. You know, one of my co-founders, Todd, um, he loves to whiteboard. So we just whiteboarded it out over like multiple hours. Um, and I think that was a good structure because it was, it was, it wasn't like we had like a design document where we didn't have like a presentation to kind of tear apart, right? It was like, here are different people's thoughts and really just lay them out in like different columns and then kind of like go row by row and be like, okay. Um, in terms of like nonprofit, for-profit, water versus whatever, like these are very like large categories, but I guess in terms of what's relevant maybe for our listeners is when you get a lot of different, you know, parts of feedback, I think it's very important to like bucket them and to label them. So like what kind of feedback is it? Is it about, you know, your business model? Is it about how you're investing? Is it about how you're in customers? Is it like, what is it about? And then from there kind of further stratify it to be like, okay, so then like, what are these people's differing opinions on this particular part of our company? Otherwise, I feel like you can then just <laughs> get a lot of neg- negative quote feedback and be like, I don't know what to do with this. How do I structure this to make it digestible? So yeah, we love whiteboarding. I um, highly recommend kind of breaking it down by like topics and like figuring out how to slice it, I think is, is probably more specific to like your company. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's really interesting. Whiteboarding and also splitting up different components of your company. Because I think when you get feedback, you often take it as like face value and don't think about it in the context of which parts of the company it actually applies to. So that's a great strategy. I'll definitely make use of that. Yeah. Um, I'm super fast. Like when that one investor was like, yeah, I would never invest in you. And I would like invest in a P from after. At first you're like, oh my God, did you just say that to our faces? But then it really took like drilling down, like why, you know, like we could have taken that as, oh, that's just because like, um, we like our social impact, you know, and that, and I mean, that would have been like a reasonable guess, but like, we wouldn't know why it could have been like, cause of our business model, cause of our margins. Maybe he doesn't believe in our team. Like what is it specifically? Um, also I think like asking, especially when you get harsh feedback, it's so funny. I recently started taking a master class on negotiation. Um, this is not like every advertising your master class, but it's like this guy and he, and he, I think gives some good advice that I wish I had heard is like, don't ask why so much, but ask more like what and how. So I think going back, what I would have liked to tell myself is rather than just kind of being deer in the headlights for like a good 30 seconds to be like, you know, like what about like our sort of um our like our structure sort of like doesn't inspire confidence to like provide the returns that you want or something like that to be more to be more specific but then that like makes people be very specific on the what and the how rather than like if you ask why i think people just get kind of defensive so advice i wish i had heard back then yeah that's a very very good piece of advice for sure what and how over over why um i i want to move on to the the fire round i think this this episode definitely has a ton of learnings, which I absolutely love. Um, but basically, I'm going to fire at you five quick questions regarding 
just your experience at Princeton, because I know you recently graduated from there, as well as just, you know, some other quick questions and then next steps for you as a person. Um, are you ready? I am. <laughs> so first question, most memorable experience at Princeton? Ooh, honestly, um, my freshman year Z group or advisory group, we would just sit in the hallways every day and do homework together. I know that sounds super like nerdy, but it was such a good group of people. And it really made, um, I think, Princeton feel like home. And it's something I'll always remember, like that hallway. Second question, favorite class at Princeton? No, this is so hard. Uh, there's too many good ones. Um, I think I'll adjust it slightly. The most memorable class or the most surprising class, I actually took one um, in the African-American studies and sociology department on race, drugs, and drug um, policy. Fascinating. It really just kind of flipped all my assumptions about the whole world of um, drugs, what they mean, how does the user and identity of the user matter. Um, yeah, it was so out of just like anything in my comfort zone, anything I'd ever learned. So definitely like my most sort of like life-changing slash favorite, I guess, class. There are a lot of good ones though. Yeah. Quarantine activity that keeps you sane. Ooh, so um, coming, you know, coming back home for quarantine, I realized surprisingly that Chattanooga, Tennessee is quite beautiful outdoors. And so um yeah, paddle boarding, I think it's probably the quarantine activity that keeps me most sane. Um, I just really like getting out on the water and we found this really nice free public um, like ramp. So we just kind of go there. One piece of advice for students who are looking to start something. Yeah, you know, I took this freshman seminar called uh, the F word failure. And that's really what I would, I would really encourage students to, to think about is when you start something, it's so easy to be like, oh, here are all the reasons why this idea is great. But I also think creating a physical list of all the ways in which your idea could fail is so important, not to dissuade you from doing it, but to know like, okay, this is where I can fail. Okay, so my next steps are like, how do I de-risk or how do I mitigate or how do I, you know, like address those potential failures? Um, I think it's great to write down just so you have. For sure. I love that idea of mitigating, like listing out your risks and trying to de-risk them one by one. I think that's so important. Um, what are the next steps for Ayushi Sinha? Ooh, um, so I just started as um, a PM at Nines, which is a startup out in the Bay. So Catherine, near you, working um, on AI for radiology diagnostics. So yeah, that's kind of my next step in the in the immediate future. Yeah, that's very cool. And and what about prospect student mentors? Is that what are your plans with that one? Yeah, so co-founded that last semester, and um, since I've graduated, I've kind of transitioned to. Um, more of like an advisory role, so on the board, which means thinking more about like high-level strategy decisions, um, as well as, you know, um, I think just facilitating more like speakers, like it was really cool. I um, actually was able to ask a friend who graduated a couple years ago to come back and speak, so I really enjoy kind of being that connective tissue between like people, and so um, I think that'll be a really cool role to, to do that. So yeah, excited to kind of be on the board as like um, the sort of next steps with uh, PSV as well. For sure. That's it's super exciting. Well, I'm so excited to, to see where you're headed. Ayushi. It definitely seems like it's on an, a super exciting track. So I can't wait to, to see where you go. And obviously had it such a great time on the show. So thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Catherine. What a great episode with so many great insights. Thanks so much, Ayushi, for coming on the couch. And to all of you for tuning into this episode.
If you liked hearing from a female student founder, you might enjoy our last episode, number 30, where we talk with Dejusvi Desai. If you haven't already, subscribe to Founders Catch wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating, and review. If you want to see more from us or DM me ideas for questions or guests, which are always, always welcome, follow us on Instagram at Founders Couch. Catch us Friday after next, October 16th, for another Founders Couch Friday. I'm Kevin Jing, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. See y'all soon!